You're in the water loop. Hey everyone, this is Travis with Waterloop. I know a lot of people want to use water efficient fixtures, but they're afraid they won't work as well. Let me tell you about High Sierra Showerheads, which was named Best Showerhead by Popular Science. I just installed one at my house and I was genuinely surprised at the power and coverage of the water. High Sierra Showerheads earn the EPA WaterSense label for water efficiency. They use at least 40% less water than the conventional low flow showerheads. High Sierra showerheads are constructed out of metal, so there's no plastic involved, they're very durable, and they're naturally antibacterial. One of my favorite things, these showerheads are made in the USA by a small business located in the Sierra Nevada foothills. Get 20% off with promo code WATERLOOP at HighSierraShowerheads.com. Order today and start saving water and money with High Sierra. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. I am Travis here with Vaughn Haggerty, Public Information Officer for the Cape Fear Public Utility Authority, which is actually my utility here in Wilmington, North Carolina. So Vaughn, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So this is uh, this is really interesting for me, uh, having worked in water for a long time, having worked at US EPA, working for uh, you know a lot of different water entities, and then you know moving to Wilmington about three years ago, and uh, obviously paying close attention to my water utility, and and kind of I moved here in July of 2017, and mm. this is right around when. The huge story broke uh, about Gen X in the Cape Fear River in the water here. Uh, and instead of me trying to tell the story, I, I'd, uh, I'd like for you to tell the story. And you were not the public information officer at Cape Fear PUA at that time. Uh, where were you? And then please tell this, uh, tell this story. Sure. sure. So um, in the spring, late spring of 2017, I was doing some freelance work. I've, I've been a journalist or had been a journalist um, off and on for the past 30 years, mainly in newspapers and magazines, um, and I decided to do some freelance work. Um, and I'd come across a research paper um, about Gen X and other PFAS being in the Cape Fear River, and also that the, these PFAS were not able to be treated for by the water treatment plant, being, and it wasn't specifically mentioned in the article or the, the paper, but it was obviously CFPUA. And so I did a story that was published in a local newspaper, the Star News, in June 2017 about this. And as you, I'm sure you are aware, things kind of took off from there. Mm -hmm. And so the, the story is that uh, this research was done. I think this was a professor from North Carolina State. Well, he was, he's probably the one who's most associated with it. You're speaking of Detlef Kanapi. Right. Um, the, the paper technically is uh, Sun et al. And there were a number of researchers uh, who were involved, including researchers from the EPA. Okay. And what, uh, what was their research? What did they basically discover? So what they did, they were actually following up on some research that the EPA researchers who were involved in the paper had done where they had earlier, a few years earlier, had found, already had found Gen X in the Cape Fear River. So they took the next logical step of testing it not only in the river, but also at, at utilities downstream. Um, and that, that was 
essentially the paper that they found these, they found Gen X for which they they did have uh, uh, an analytical standards for or a way to actually identify it. But they also found a, no, a number of what they called at the time novel PFAS. They, they knew sort of the chemical structure, but they didn't know exactly what they were. Hmm. What prompted them to to look at the Cape Fear River? Was this just part of a study to see what chemicals were in there and this is what turned up? Or did they have a suspicion that these that something was going on? Well, like I said, they already knew that Gen X had been found in the river. I think this was just sort of an extension of that. And then in terms of, of why they decided to look there, I mean, I, I can't speak for them. I would assume in part it's because um, the upstream of, of us, about 100 miles up the Cape Fear River, is the Fayetteville Works uh, chemical plant. And there they do make uh, floral products. Mm. Okay, and so what what was discovered then about uh, the history of of the presence of the of Gen X and the other PFAS sure. compounds in the river? Like it, it turned out that this went back for decades, right? That it had been put in the river for decades. Exactly. I think. Well, well so also in June, I think one of the the things that had people scratching their heads is that Gen X was manufactured at this uh, at the Fayetteville Works under a consent agreement with the EPA. And under that consent agreement, they were to, it was a pre-manufacturing notice. They were to capture 99% of any they manu, you know that uh, they manufactured. Uh, they had to capture 99% from going into the environment. So in other words, 1% or less could go into the environment. Um, and there were larger amounts that were found. So people were scratching their heads. Well, if you're capturing all this, uh, where is this coming from? So in June of 2017. Um, representatives from the company, we're talking about Kim Wars, um, came down and spoke to local and state uh, officials. And at the, what they said was that the Gen X was found in the river and the other PFAS found in the river did come from the plant, but they came from other manufacturing processes at the plant. In other words, they were byproducts. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, the same uh, pre-manufacture notice slash consent uh, agreement uh, that allowed them to manufacture. It also had a um, an exception for byproducts. So any of the Gen X, whatever made as a byproduct, did not fall under the restrictions uh, that the capture restrictions. And the other thing we found, or, or that was told by uh, these uh, company representatives, is that the processes they say were were responsible for these being in the river have been operating since around 1980. Wow. Okay. And so the community reaction, the utility reaction, you're, you're in the midst of this story, you know, as one of the main people reporting it. Um, what happens with the, the utility, what's the utilities reaction? What's the community's reaction when this is all uncovered? So I wasn't at the utility at the time. So I really can't speak to that. I know that the, the, there was an instant and very, I think, um, strong reaction in the community. I think people were understandably upset and they wanted answers and there really weren't a whole lot of answers to be had. I mean, obviously the question is how could this have happened and why would it have happened so long and why wasn't anybody told about it? I think those were the main questions. No, fair, fair enough. And so how long did your reporting continue uh, or how long did you keep acting as a reporter? Uh, and then when did you join Cape Fear? Sure. So I, I kept doing freelancing on this story um, up until the end of, of 2018. Um, 
And I should say during that time, a number of things happened uh, in terms of this story. Um, eventually, uh, the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality, which is our, our state regulator, um, took a number of regulatory actions uh, in regards to this. Um, there were notices of violation um, that were issued against the company. Um, and then eventually their um, NPDES permit, the, the one for Kim Moore's, was suspended. And that's still in place. And of course, that did lower the levels of, of GenX that was in and GenX and other PFAS that were in the river. Um, but in, in addition to that, there was significant amounts of of PFAS that were being uh, released into the air, uh, the groundwater beneath the, the plant was pretty, um, pretty contaminated, and that obviously continues to result in PFAS that we see in the water. Um, in terms of my joining CFPUA, um, I mean, I had I had spent obviously at least some time speaking with people at CFPUA during this story, and. I had always been struck by one, how competent these people were, and two, how dedicated they were to what they were doing. I mean, they want, they knew something needed to happen as a result of this, and they were making it happen. Um, so I always had a lot of respect for what they were doing, and I, I, I never had any criticisms of CFUA. At the same time, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I woke up one morning and said, you know what, I think I'm going to go work for CFUA. Um, I mean, it, it never really occurred to me. Um, but sort of coincidentally, I happened to go to the same gym as uh, the executive director, Jim Fleckner. And so um, in December of 2018, um, he and I were in the locker room and he just happened to mention that CFPUA was looking for a public information officer. And did I know anybody who wanted to uh, who was might be interested in it? And at first I thought about it. I said, well, let me think about it. And I'll let you know. But then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, that actually might be a, a good job for me. I think I might be interested in that. Mm. And so we spoke, you know, and obviously one thing led to another. Mm. And, and here I am. And I'm really glad I made this decision. I think it was a, a, a great move for me. And I think it's turned out well for the utility as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, I think there's some good things about that, because I find that journalists uh, are do a great job at communications then because they understand how to communicate with the public, how to take complex subjects and distill them down. Exactly. Um, they understand the, the, the need for uh, a great degree of transparency and, and the value that that brings in, in public trust. Um, so I, I, I was a former journalist that went into communications, so maybe mm -hmm. I'm a little biased there, but um, I think it's good. I, I know that maybe some people have questions, you know, uh, uh, or maybe even criticized, like, you know, you going from being, you know, kind of the, the, the public defender as a journalist to then going to work for the utility. And I mean, that's kind of silly in my mind. But how is that? How is that? Uh, how is that? There, there, there was there was some of that. And I think most of that came from people who don't, don't know me. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I attribute a lot of that to just sort of the, the effect that social media has. I think it because people are licensed to, yeah. to say whatever they want, even if they don't know anything about what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, and um, I think for the most part that what the way things have turned out, like I said, I think it's been a good thing not only for the utility and the community, but for me as well. Um, there was, I think, in terms of specific criticism, it was, you know, things like whether I had sold out or whether the – the CPUA was was you know buying me off mm. you know which are 
patently, these are ridiculous things to say. Sure. But it's easy for people to say these things on social media. Yeah, keyboard warriors out there. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I want to go back a little bit to what has happened in these couple years. You know, you mentioned sure. you mentioned the permitting change and the discharge stop, but there's this contamination in the groundwater that is just going to take who knows how long to work its way through. So what's sure. been, what's been really happening uh, for the past few years as far as you know, uh, Kimors, the state, EPA, Cape Fear. Um, how, what, what arrangement has been reached, I guess? Sure. So eventually in, in terms of the, the state regulators and Kim Wars, um, they reached a, a consent order, um, that includes a number of, of mitigation and remediation measures that, that Kim Wars is supposed to undertake. And, and those things have been ongoing. Um, I think that, um, while there's a number of good things in there, I think that our position has been that, that, that there needs to be more that specifically addresses the needs of people downstream. Uh, you mentioned transparency. One of the things we do in terms of transparency is that we regularly test both raw and finished water at the Sweeney Water Treatment Plant, which is the plant that treats water that we draw from the Cape Fear River. And although the levels of PFAS have gone down since the, the uh, discharge was stopped, we still see it, and, we'll, and we're going to see that for a long time. I mean, these processes, as, as I said, went on for decades. And so as a result, um, there's a lot of PFAS in the groundwater that seeps beneath that plant that seeps into the Cape Fear River. Uh, there, the researchers have shown that there is um, PFAS also in the 55 miles of river sediment between Kim Moore's out, outfall and our intake. Um, so we're likely to see a background level of PFAS uh, in the river, in the raw water for some time. So, so one of the things we did immediately was we knew we had to start on how are we going to, to address the PFAS that's going to be in the river. Um, and Because we have to draw from the river. We, that's where we get 80% of the water we distribute. Um, so there, there was actually a two-pronged approach there. One is what can we do in the short term? And then what is the long-term solution? So um, let me take those in reverse order. Uh, on the long term, what we did was there was a, a months-long pilot test that was done to first identify um, what is the best treatment option for us, given what we already have at the Swinney Water Treatment Plant. And two, then wh what does, how do we implement that? Mm. What we ended up with was um, a, a GAC, uh, a deep bed GAC filters that we are currently in the process of adding to the Swinney water treatment plant. And our modeling has shown that those should reduce PFAS in the raw water by 90%. Mm. So that's the long-term solution. And that's already underway and will will be operational sometime in 2022. Okay. But we didn't, we knew we didn't want to wait until then. So we have, um, we also have filters at Sweeney that use GAC, but they're operated in biological mode. And I'm sure some of your listeners already understand what that is. But essentially, they're allowed, the GACs are allowed to remain in place, biofilm forms, and it helps with treatment of things like, well, we're able to reduce, say, 1,4-dioxane that's in there. Mm -hmm. And it also helps to treat for disinfection byproducts. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an important thing for us. But what we did, we figured out is, well, if we change that out more frequently, we can at least re achieve some reduction. And that's what we started doing in uh, 
late 2018, and that's continued. And we've gotten, I think, on average, about 40% reduction from those. Okay, I was going to ask what what you've realized from that. So, um, what levels are we talking about? You know, what what levels of Gen X and and PFAS in total were were mm-hmm. were you know found in 2017 versus what's kind of out there now? So, uh, in 2017, so when I say we say found in 2017, and this is it's easy to to mix this up. So the story came out in 2017, the paper came out in 2016, and the samples were taken, I believe, in 2013 and 2014. Okay. So that's kind of the time frame we're talking about. So in, in 2013 and 2014, when the samples were taken, I believe that the average um, uh, concentration at our intake of, of Gen X was about 670 parts per trillion. Mm. Um, so that gives you some idea. Now, what I will say also is that recently, um, well, since then, technology in terms of, of analysis has um, increased tremendously, mm-hmm. uh, has advanced tremendously. And the, same, the research that we talked about earlier, Ed Love Canopy, recently came out with another research paper where he took samples he had saved from 2013 and 2014 and applied current technology to those and found that the levels of PFAS in the river at the time were in the, the range of hundreds of thousands of parts per trillion. Mm, wow. Wow. Um, so yeah. since then, obviously, the levels have dropped largely because of this, the discharge stop. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what we still, like I said, we still see PFAS in the river and it fluctuates depending on, mainly depending on how the river is flowing. More water in the river, you know, obviously less PFAS. Um, but say last summer, um, we had a, a, we were under drought conditions here in North Carolina and they, they ticked back up pretty high at, at several hundred uh, or a few hundred parts per trillion in terms of total PFAS. Mm-hmm. It's, it's gone down now that we've had more, more rain, but it, we think what we've shown or what, what our data shows is that we'll see a background level of about a hundred parts per trillion for some time. And that's, and that's total of Gen X and the other, the PFAS compounds kind of when you add all those up. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to ask a little bit about more about the treatment piece. Uh, so the gran- mm-hmm. the granular activated carbon that's going in, I know this is something that other communities around the country are turning to, to deal with PFAS compounds. Sure. Um, and for now, it's you know something that the ratepayers for you, your utility are footing the bill for, right? To the tune of about five bucks a month. Um, yeah, they, they will be starting. I want to say this July. Okay. Uh, to me, as a water person, I'm like, take my five dollars for cleaner water. That is a no-brainer. What a value! I just I just want to say that you know, like of all the things we put down five dollars for, uh, cleaner water coming to the house seems like a tremendous return on the investment. But uh, I know some people. People out there also grumble about it. Um, how how do you all take that take that feedback? Well, I would say two things. One is uh, one I appreciate your perspective, and I think other people do have that perspective. But we're also cognizant of, of um, affordability. Yeah. I mean, for 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 you and I, I mean, five dollars. You know, it's it's money, but it's it's not going to hurt us at the end of the day. But other people, you know, five dollars. Well, that's something I have to do without. Sure. Um, so that's important. Um, at the same time, the other thing I would say is that there's only one reason we're building these, G, this GAC filter. Mm. And that's because this company um, did what they did for, you know, 
them and, and their predecessor did what they did for you know all those decades. We're building it because of Gen X and other PFAS that's in the water. Mm-hmm. And so it seems logical that those the, the people who are responsible for this should be the ones who are paying. Um, now, we've said that on a number of occasions, and, and we, that's, we do that pretty consistently in our messaging. Um, but so far, um, we haven't received any money from them. Mm. Um, so um, we filed a, a, a sometime back filed a federal lawsuit. Okay. Yeah. And so that is just pending, and we will see what comes of that, huh? It is, you know, I mean, obviously because it's it's pending uh, litigation. There's not a whole lot I can say about it. Um, as you might imagine, these things work pretty slowly, and obviously they're you know off and on. There are you know different discussions between uh, both sides. Um, and I, I, what I can say is that the in the last part I've been involved in um, was the very very beginnings of discovery. Mm. So okay. Gotcha. All right. I understand. Uh, The other, the other part of your response aside from the treatment, actually, you know, dealing with the water is I think dealing with the public uh, and trying to explain to them what's happened, what is happening, trying, Mm -hmm. trying to build trust. Um, What's that process been like? What's been your approach to communications with your, your customers? Sure. So um, it's been uh, on a a number of different channels. One of the things I found that was, among the most effective um, was uh, face-to-face. Um, you, you can put out a message and, and you can be on social media, um, but it may not be the best way to try to explain something like this. And, and it's often difficult to answer everybody's questions without somebody chiming in with something that may or may not be useful. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did, uh, one of the first things I did when I first joined CPUA was I, I arranged for a, several community meetings. And so I ended up doing, I want to say about a half dozen of those. And these weren't things where, hey, CPUA is having a meeting, come on down to see us. We went to where they were. So places where, where people were already meeting, um, we went there and had discussions. And I thought those went exceptionally well. Um, and I think that went a long way toward um, helping moving things forward for us. Mm-hmm. But we have um, done a lot of messaging on social media. One of the things I think that makes not just this, but any messaging challenging for any organization, and, and I'm sure you're aware of this, is the um, hollowing out of local news media. Um, I, I think that that's, that's, that phenomenon has been going on for some time, but I think it's become pretty acute. Um, even now that you can, the old way of doing things, and I say old way, um, I mean, I always think even just five years ago, um, you you put out a press release, and if it were interesting, you probably could get some coverage, but that's not always the case now. Um, So it's sort of a lot of times just up to you um, to really get that message out. Um, And so that's what we've been doing. And we have been using social media significantly on that. Um, I think especially um, in the last, oh, Maybe six months to a year, we've really ramped up our efforts in part because um, um, I hired an assistant public information officer, Cami Bellamy, and she's really taken it over and is really, really good at that. So I, I think we've we've been pretty successful there. The other thing um, that we've done or that I did was um, reached out to, to certain groups um, in the community where I think we have a, a lot of overlap. And, and one of those would be um, Cape Fear River Watch. Um, so I already had a relationship with um, a professional relationship with the riverkeeper there, Kemp Burdett. 
And so he and I, have, have, we continue to have discussions. And, you know, um, we don't always agree on everything. But I think we agree on the core uh, value of uh, protecting water quality. Um, and I think that relationship has gone pretty well. The other relationship um, that I've really worked hard on, and I, I think it's been successful for both for both of us, is there are community groups here, but there's one in particular I think that's been pretty high profile um, called Clean Cape Fear. Um, so Clean Cape Fear um, is a, they're mainly on social media, but they've um, risen to I think some prominence, and I think have become sort of the face of of community activism on this particular subject here. Um, they've uh, they're involved. In, I know that uh, one of the people who's probably the highest profile person is named Emily Donovan, and she's uh, testified for Congress. Um, she's uh, has appeared with um, uh, Mark Ruffalo for um, the Dark Waters movie. They had a showing here. It was sold out. It was pretty incredible. And she and I have, a, I think, a pretty good relationship and talk back and forth. Again, um, it's not we don't necessarily agree on everything. Um, but I think we agree on most things. And uh, as a result, you know, I, I, I consider them and uh, Pay for River Watch an advocate for CFPUA. Well, they want, like you said, they want the same thing, right? They want they, do. they want clean water. They want to protect public health. They want to protect the river and the place that we live. And I, exactly. I know you guys share the same goal. I know that's the focus of water utilities. Um, and this is not a situation that you caused. It's it's something that came from upstream. Um, and I, I think that having those relationships, is <laughs> that's very smart. That's a good way to go. One of the other things I noticed you guys do is uh, you do publish – your most recent tests of, of the water. Um, and could you talk about that? Sure. Um, so that was something we started. I mean, it's obviously started just with Gen X. Um, and it's, we've increased it as the analytical standards that allow us to increase the number of PFAS um, makes that possible. And so as, as of now, we're up to being able to our lab, and I might say our lab, we contract with a lab to do the analysis. We do the sampling and send it off. Um, that lab is able to test for 45 different compounds, which I am pretty sure is probably the, among the most detailed um, that is being done by utilities and in, in probably nationwide. Um, and so that's done approximately every two weeks, and we publish those results online. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What uh, I guess the one thing is what what's the sense in the community about drinking this water now, even that the levels have come down right. that much? Um, you're, you know, they might be around a hundred or so when you roll it all up. Um, you know, I think people know the EPA health advisory is 70 different States have different policies, different cities. Um, what's, what's your message to your customers about the water? Sure. So, I mean, I would say maybe once, sometimes once a week, although it's the, the I think the volume has dropped off somewhat. I would get a call from a customer and it's some version of, is my water safe to drink? Um, and you know, that's a tough, that's, that's not a, as easy a question as, as you might think. I mean, I think there are in some communities where you say, you can just say, well, we meet all water standards. In fact, we exceed all the water standards. Well, we meet and exceed all those water standards, but that probably doesn't answer that customer's question. So our approach has been to say, well, here's all the things we know. Here's what we're, you know, here's our results. Um, you know, here we'll point you. You know, we're not 
a health organ, a health agency will point you to where that health information is. Um, it will tell you what we're doing in terms of the interim steps um, to reduce PFOS and the long-term step. And we'll point out that the, the reason we're doing that is because of the company that was uh, has been discharging. Um, and that's where we leave it. Yeah, sure. I understand. Um, I want to just follow up on a couple other entities that would be involved in this situation or have been involved and just kind of what their uh, response and actions have been, the state of North Carolina. Right. So I, I would say the, the state of North Carolina has, has done a, a good job. Um, you know, the, the, that good job started in, um, uh, after the story uh, broke. And by the fall, I mean, these things take time. By the fall um, of 2017, the, the first notice of violation was issued. I will point out that notice of violation had to do with groundwater. Um, and it's likely, I'm, I'm only speculating here, and I would say that's likely because groundwater rules, um, state rules in North Carolina, are probably a little more specific than um, drinking water rules. Um, so, um, but, and that continued. And I think uh, the, they've, continued on pretty steadily since then. Um, so I, I would say that's, that's good. Again, I, I would say that from our perspective, we would like to see more measures taken that are that um, specifically address um, people downstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of the EPA, I mean, I, I, as I'm sure you probably know, um, the if you're most of these, most of the EP, most of the regulations we're talking about here are actually administered by the state. So most of our interactions have been with the state. There've been some with the EPA. In fact, um, there's uh, some of the data that resulted from the pilot testing that we did was used recently by um, one of the top scientists at EPA, Tom Speth, in, in, a, in research to show how just how effective these deep bed contactors are going to be reducing PFAS, including short chain PFAS. I mean, one thing to keep in mind, I think there is some information out there about how effective GAC may be, particularly in terms of short term. Well, as, as these things are not as cut and dry as you might think. And, and a lot of that depends on, well, how much GAC are you talking about? What kind of contact time are you talking about? What kind of service are you talking about? These, these, Contactors, just to give you some perspective, the ones we have uh, that we're using for interim step, those are about four feet deep. These will be 12 and a half feet deep. Wow. There's going to be three million pounds of GAC in these contactors. Now, GAC, the the thing about GAC is it's all about surface area because, you know, the bad stuff sticks to the surface. Um, One of our engineers recently calculated that the amount of surface area that 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 three million pounds is going to have would be enough to cover the entire state of North Carolina three times. Wow. So I mean, this is this is a lot of GAC. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, and and obviously right now our, our in terms of our it needs to be changed out obviously, and our change out time is based on models. And luckily, we're pretty good now at at doing some monitoring, and you know, we'll adjust that as needed. Yeah. Well, that's a that's amazing that it's going to have that much surface area. I didn't realize right. I didn't realize you guys were going that deep either. So that's a, that's incredible, and I know you do have to change it out uh, and figure out what the science tells you on that that front. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I, one of the last things I wanted to ask is just you know this is a national story. It's a global story right now mm-hmm. with PFAS. Right? There's a uh, the the Mark Ruffalo movie. You know, Dark Waters is out there, um, but 
so Wilmington is really one of the one of the communities that's kind of uh, highlighted the most. You know, this is this is a place where this has been a story. What's it What's it just like? Uh, not pleasant, I know, but what's it like being one of these communities that's kind of on the forefront that has a lot of eyes on it? Um, yeah. Yeah. So here's what I would say is that, um, and again, I wasn't at CPUA at the time, but I'm sure when it first, when the story first broke, that, uh, that it, it probably was a, a, a stressful time. But in some ways, I think it's also has been, I mean, not that having PFAS in your water would ever be a blessing, mm-hmm. but it, as a result, we're two years, more than two years into this thing now. Um, so we have all that experience all that you know, knowledge under our belts. Um, we're already starting on solutions mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. for this. Whereas I'm sure there are other communities out there where this is just starting to surface as as an issue. Yeah. Um, so as a result of that, um, the expertise that we have, and I, and I think expertise is a good word. I'm not going to say that we're all experts, but I, I think in this case that that it, it probably is warranted. Um, is sought after by our peers in the um, in the industry, um, and rightfully so because we have that experience. I was going to ask that as if you've had communication with other utilities out there, other other cities, and yeah, okay, yeah, we regularly speak at, at conferences and such, and it's uh, it's routinely about PFAS. Yeah, great. Well, uh, being a water guy myself and a, a utility guy, uh, and really. Uh, I wanted to have this opportunity to connect with you to learn more about the situation firsthand. I appreciate you coming on uh, and and talking this much about it. And, My pleasure. Yeah, and I definitely like we we've mentioned before. I definitely look forward to connecting with you in the future about different things happening with my utility. Uh, you know, around areas of resilience or technology and and all that. And following this story as it continues. Yeah, great. It was good speaking with you. All right, Vaughn. Thanks a lot. Take care. Right, bye bye. The Waterloop podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish choice for conserving water, energy, and money while enjoying an invigorating shower. Use promo code WATERLOOP for 20% off at highsierrashowerheads.com. You're in the Waterloop. Waterloop.